Hi, chums, and welcome to this uh, extra, extra Leslie Riddick podcast. And in the realm of things I didn't expect to happen, I think this must be the top of the tree for me because Nicola Sturgeon has resigned as First Minister. And I genuinely, it genuinely shocked me. And I'm still trying to get my head around it. I don't know how you feel, Leslie, but you've been on all day talking about it and you're to talk about it again. Yeah, well, just to say that this may be truncated by I'm on with uh, uh, Andrew Neil on uh, the Radio 4's PM programme in about 40 minutes time. So we're just managing to squeeze this in. And it's been just mayhem since that. I have never had more phone calls, you know, from just across actually not just Britain, but outside, you know, from some of the Nordic countries, from Italian station. Um, I think all that publicity there was around the Supreme Court verdict has also kind of widened the impact of Scotland as a story. Um, you know, the, 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 there's been requests to go to, to rugby to be on question time tomorrow night. No. <laughs> <laughs> and debate night tonight in Pitlochry. No, because just quite apart from anything else in the middle of it, I had to go off for two hours to get a kind of treatment for this freaking sciatic pain, which meant I couldn't actually even think straight for most of this morning. So um, I was absolutely knocked sideways. Mm -hmm. I couldn't believe it when I was actually still putting myself through the throes of trying to understand this blinking bottle deposit scheme. Oh, yes. Um, you, you, you know, if one was in a sort of lighthearted mood, which one basically isn't, you might conjecture that this is the best possible way you could ever think of to wipe that particular difficulty off the map. But, you know, just going on to the national to check on this story that, you know, there's a cross party group that now want the whole thing to be reviewed. Suddenly there it was press conference, 11 a.m. Mm -hmm. And when I checked with the national to see what this is about, they said she's she's quit. She's already. We know. Mm -hmm. Honestly, I know, you know, I've, I've looked on online on Twitter and so on. And, you know, there's this, the full range of I'm glad she's gone and carpy remarks and all the rest of it. I mean, I, honestly, I just don't care how you bracket me for saying this, but she was a gigantic political presence. Absolutely. And I mean, for goodness sake, uh, you can at least acknowledge that. I, 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 I'm keeping this ready for any carpy remarks Andrew Neil chooses to make about this mm -hmm. now the end of independence, that that is his own cat-handed, back-handed way of saying she was a great, yeah. you know, because her absence certainly is going to be, she's going to be a hard act to follow. And that simply is, I mean, just like Jacinda Ardern put New Zealand on the map, um, you, you know, there's various uh, characters who have managed to put their small countries, Sanna Marin uh, for, for Finland, right up there. Uh, Nicola Sturgeon did, did the same. She was an excellent communicator. She is yes. talking about as if she's dead. But she, you know, she has been able to communicate really well on a whole range of subjects with empathy, um, with humour, with presence, with quick wittedness. I mean, Really, uh, you know, when, when I was taking the news in, I was having a whole kaleidoscope of images going of Nicola Sturgeon. I'm afraid a bit like the moment that you hear somebody, you know, has actually mm -hmm. died. This is the end of her really political career. And I was remembering that moment in the middle of the independence referendum where she was on all those STV debates with basically all comers. I don't know if people even remember this now, uh, but she basically tore limbs off Michael Moore. But then, to be fair, that wasn't such a big deal. And then completely eviscerated um, Alistair Carmichael to the extent that he actually had that memorable moment where he turned to uh, Rona, the, the STV 
presenter and said, you know, essentially help me, Rona, which then ended up trending on Twitter because unlike Alex Salmond, who suddenly was found a bit wanting in the kind of quick witted, quick fire you know, mastering his arguments quickly and succinctly department, Nicola was blooming amazing. And so there's all these images of her at the dispatch box, tearing limbs off Tories, including, you know, London's favourite kind of characters that that seem to do very well for them, like Ruth Davidson, never landed a blooming glove on her. Not one. And all those times at the dispatch box when the likes of Richard Leonard in particular, poor Richard Leonard, would wax lyrical for an extraordinarily long length of time about a subject that was actually a Westminster competence, you know, at which point she would sort of, you know, gently and then not so gently point out to him. So there's just um, there's so many images of her in full flight, in total command of language and the moment she understood the moment very well, which is where when she didn't understand the moment, it sort of struck you all the harder because she really has been that big a sort of character in Scottish politics. So let's not pretend this is, I mean, I was on LBC. At, oh, uh, yes. Just before David Lamy. Yeah. David Lamy, who, who introduced me. I didn't obviously hear the what preceded it, although I've had quite a few people texting to say, thank God you came on because they were absolutely just reveling in, you know, the final downfall of, of what they perceived to be their sort of, you know, their nemesis basically in Scotland. But he introduced me and said that this was today was an historic day for politics. And I said, well, there's nothing I can say that's even bigger than what you've just said, David. You're the shadow foreign secretary. You're the, you know, one of the leaders of a, of a completely rival party. And you concede that this is an historic moment because that's the size of the politician that's decided to vacate the stage, you know. So if even these guys can kind of be big enough to recognise that a, a pretty major thing has happened, then it's a bit blooming churlish of us not to just slightly take a breath and recognise that that has been a bit of a big, big change that we've seen today. Yeah, well, absolutely. Because when I, I, I watched the uh, her speech, uh, uh, resignation speech, and I was absolutely struck by how great a communicator she was and how genuine she is, or a genuine, you know, and people say, oh, how genuine she can sound. But I mean, when she's stuck in the line about, you know, I, I'm not expecting any violence and, you know, the bit about, you know, uh, it's uh, probably the worst time in their life, you know, they, they're going to see more of their auntie. Those were just completely natural, unscripted, the one in the, the script, the, 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 the statement that was read out. And that was the whole thing that I, I got from Nicola Sturgeon in every case that she was. She was incredibly natural, a great communicator. And I, I I felt as if she was speaking from the heart continually on everything that she did. And I disagree with her about policy, but not about ability as a communicator. And what, what I also found as well is when our, our friend Jackie Bailey and, and Alex Cole Hamilton, Alex Cole Hamilton was on saying, oh, I, I'm, this is not a day for criticising Nicola Sturgeon. And, and then he went on, of course, to criticise Nicola Sturgeon. But, but Jackie Bailey leapt in. Um, uh, when she was being asked on uh, Radio Scotland about all all the negatives, and there was wasn't one positive thing she actually really had to say about Nicola Sturgeon at all. Unlike David Lamy, who after you went off said how much he enjoyed and respected working with her uh, during the Brexit uh, on Brexit, and said that they they shared a lot of as you said to him shared a lot of progressive values, particularly when it came to membership of the European Union, which. You know, the SNP is the one party which has stuck to its guns over it. So, no, 
I, I, I genuinely, it was a jaw-dropping moment. I, I had to stop and think and look again because we, we spoke about it yesterday because the Jim Nocte statement was that Nicholas Sturgeon was looking tired. As is it, completely unexpected. Uh, what she cited was, though, Leslie, was it was this is not a, an immediate issue because there was a lot of attention being paid to the, the travails over the, the recent travails, particularly gender recognition. A reform bill uh, splits allegedly in the party. and But she said this had been a, a period of time that she'd been considering it. And what I also thought was interesting about the fact was her focus on the special conference, uh, the SNP special conference about the de facto referendum, yay or nay or Westminster or Holyrood. And she said she didn't want to be a uh, hanging around, if you like, when she couldn't be committed to actually taking part in any de facto referendum because she was considering resigning. I just wonder, do you think that the, that the de facto referendum and the the, 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 the disputes and debates that are taking place in the SNP may have been a, a significant contributing factor? Well, it might be, but actually I think you could take that back to the Supreme Court verdict day. Because mm -hmm. obviously everything that flows from not being able to conduct our own referendum began then. You know, that the, the, she'd obviously thrown her idea in about the de facto referendum much earlier. But that was the day that sort of confirmed there was not going to be a, an easy walk up the garden path to pick the fruit from the apple tree. You know, this is kind of going round the houses, out of the blooming fences, through the swimming pools, you know, all the rest of it to manage to get to basically 10 yards in front of your nose. That's the that's the yeah. long, long traips that we're all now on. Um, and, you know, whichever way you look at it, uh, and so she pointed out, it's obviously, given that it's the second best, it ain't perfect, but it actually involves pretty massive amounts of work, you know. Um, and so she, she talks about not wanting to have, uh, as a leader, disproportionate influence mm -hmm. conference. Um, so that's, you know, that that. It, that obviously, I imagine, is, you know, that's perfectly true uh, that she would have had disproportionate. So when she's leader, people hop to it. I mean, that day with the, you know, Supreme Court verdict thing, when we, the Time for Scotland lot, had got that rally organised outside, um, you know, she, she she didn't confirm she was actually doing it until half an hour beforehand, which kind of rather impacted on, I think, the number of SNP people who turned out to be in the crowd because they were waiting for mum to give them the all clear. Mm -hmm. Um, right. And so, you know, when she when she's wholeheartedly into something, you get you get that result when she isn't, you know, that clearly has an impact. So if she knew she wasn't going to sort of, you, you know, be there to s hit the ticker tape at the end of the race, it wouldn't make sense to be involved in shaping the argument. However, um, since. Uh, since her husband, Peter Morell, uh, who's also Murrell, um, who's also the chief executive of the SNP, is apparently not standing down. Right. Then that doesn't seem to me to be a particularly good situation. Um, if if there's an argument which she made extremely clearly and powerfully for if you're going to sort of move on, you just need to go and do it before the next sort of really big strategic moment for the party so that someone with the legs for the race is basically in place to do the whole canter right up to the line. Then I don't know how that works properly with the old guard still hanging over it as chief executive in charge of that process. Um, now, that's to just park for a second also, though, 
all the kind of, you know, criticisms there is. And indeed, one was raised um, during the press conference bit of her event um, by Colin Mackay, who pretty bluntly said what I imagine was on a lot of people's minds, as he is wont to do, <laughs> um, which is, has any of this to do with the uh, police investigation into the loan that Peter Merrill made to the SNP? Or indeed, the endlessly £600,000 missing kind of, you know, amount of money that was raised for a referendum campaign that never happened. Now, all of that's still hanging over Peter Murrell and mm -hmm. it thus hangs over the SNP. And it thus means that any progress you make into a new sort of chapter of this whole thing is limited. Now, I don't know if that immediate statement from the SNP that he's staying on is simply that you can't kind of have practically, you know, the whole of the top deck disappear in a one or without causing a bit of a kind of skew if in your course. And he's there simply to just kind of keep the, the hand on the tiller until a new leader's in place, at which point they get their own crew and he offskies. That I don't think is the right way. That's not exactly the command structure within the SNP. I don't think, uh, you know, a new leader can essentially just fire a chief executive. But you'd kind of imagine that that would be a concession that you would not want to be staying on, you know, with a new, it's a bit like your football managers, isn't it? Yes. Uh, a lot of people I'm seeing already online, you know, are saying that this just isn't good enough, you know, that this really, if there is going to be a break, let's have a break. So I don't know. I mean, all I would hope is uh, that the, a lot of people in the SNP will, will possibly have lost have lost the experience of actually saying what they think in a reasonable way about all of this because there's been such guardedness, there's been such wished for Indy, um, there's been such circumspection about saying what you think and that then having repercussions in any kind of way. But, you know, there has to be, if there's been some plain talking by Nicola, that kind of suggests that what we need now from the SNP is a bit of plain talking about kind of the way forward. And I, I just would really hope that, that the presence of Peter Merle doesn't in, in any way kind of stifle that. Yeah, because I mean, I was just thinking about what you said. Because with the SNP, they've got they've got well, in within the Scottish Parliament, there's 28 days to elect a new first minister, and the SNP's rule is you've got to have 100 nominations from at least 20 branches. And I think it would be kind of difficult, or made much much more difficult, if Peter Murrell had had resigned uh, simultaneously, and then a new chief executive come in and oversee this process. But what something you said earlier. Uh, which I, I think people, many people reflect on was the fact that you said the SNP members were waiting for mum to say it's OK. And I think that's the, the hope I have anyway, and many people have, is that they will develop out of this uh, a more collegiate approach, a more inclusive approach where there is, as you say, respectful criticism and respectful debate. And it's not my way or the highway. I mean, which allows people like Alan Smith to turn around and say, well, if you're not happy with this, get out the party. You know, we, we see that operate in, in other political parties and it, and, it, and it isn't on, which brings us kind of to the the runners and riders. And I would just say I'm not looking for anybody male and pale to take over. 
Uh, I think you, what you said about the old guard also applies um, to the likes of Angus Robertson, John Swinney, who have been around for a long time. And I think are associated with that centralising tendency, that lack of debate tendency. And there are other candidates out there who are neither male nor pale, who I think would be would be equally good communicators. But, but just goes to say, so who will do you think, if you've got any idea at all, um, could be a front runner? Honestly, I just I really don't know, because I think the other thing is, if if you kind of, uh, you know, if you look at essentially what's had what what punishment Nicola Sturgeon's had to take, um, you would I think you would start to think twice about some of this. I mean, so, for example, a lot of people think Kate Forbes, the yeah. former finance secretary, would be a candidate. Um, she's been off on a fairly extended maternity leave Um I've, I hear that she's had very mixed thoughts about whether or not she would return to frontline politics. Um, and it's, I think, an open matter of record that she is opposed to abortion. Um, I think that could cause problems. And you could just look at Nicola Sturgeon's difficulties with dealing with similar-ish kind of issues within the portfolio of, if you like, mm-hmm. human rights, identity, women's rights, all of this, and just think, you know, I, I don't know myself how someone with that, what is now perceived largely as a minority view within um, politics, how easy she would find it to lead a party um, with that, you know, with that different stance that she takes uh, on that issue. So I don't know. I mean, that might still seem to her to not be a big deal. She has just had a bairn for crying in a bucket. Mm-hmm. Um, she might suddenly think that, you know, there's more to life than than throwing yourself into the midst of this kind of lion's den. So I don't know about that, really. Um, the interesting thing to me is the Westminster candidates. Um, I see online an awful lot of people wanting Mary Black to sort of um, be a candidate and doubtless, you know, a fiery, totally fiery speaker who shoots from the hips and so on. Um, uh, uh, there's been a suggestion that um, Westminster candidates can't stand. As far as I understand it, that's not right. Uh, a West, I think it's true that a Westminster, uh, in fact, somebody posted the, the section of the rules um, and a Westminster candidate could could be leader. Indeed, I think Alex Salmond was for a while before he had um, before he became an MSP and held both seats for a while. So, you know, I don't know if that means that the likes of Stephen Flynn might be a possible contender. He's not mentioned by anyone, but um, <laughs> you have to remind everyone that uh, back in 2003, the reason that Alex Salmon came back into politics is that Nicola Sturgeon was so completely failing to impress within the leadership election of the time that she was losing. Um, so, you know, people that can become incredibly powerful characters um, can actually, you know, be, arise within a matter of five or 10 years from practical obscurity to being incredibly effective. So I, I I just don't know at the moment who really wants to do it. Um, who's got within the party? I'm, I'm guessing that there are, you know, tranches of opinion that have to be wooed. Um, I'd like to see somebody, you know, one of the younger ones or mm-hmm. I mean, I don't think Philippa Whitford kind of wants to do it, but she's a tremendous speaker and a galvanizing sort of sensible woman. I don't think she wants to do it, but. She might, you know, I've no idea. But I'd like I'd love to see a really good batch of leadership contenders. Um, 
if for nothing else, to just dispel this idea that there's actually nothing much going on in the SNP except, uh, you know, Nicola's word, the highway, and then all the sort of bystanders who are sort of some kind of cyber what-sits that have no personality of their own. I mean, this is the moment to disprove that by people coming forward with the personality to get politics driven back into this debate. Yeah, because, of course, anybody from Westminster will have to make a commitment uh, to standing as an MSP in order to be First Minister. So, I mean, I doubt if there would be a a split between the SNP leader and being First Minister. I mean, so as as things stand, it it looks likely it will will be somebody who comes from Holyrood in in, in terms of the fact of the necessity of having the SNP leader and First Minister as as the same, the same, the same person. A lot of it might be. But, you know, I mean, good grief. Uh, you know, Nicola has been leader for eight years. This is a bit, this sort of reminds me of my mum used to talk about, you know, my pocket money burning a hole in my pocket. You know, mm-hmm. that, I mean, you just want, you so want to spend it, you'll just chuck it at the first chewing gums you see when you get into the chemist's <laughs> shop. This is, a, this is a decision for quite, unlike the Tories at Westminster, the SNP does not change its leaders, every, you know, every other year or every other month. Um, so that you're making you're making a, a kind of generational shift with someone who's likely to be in power for quite a long time and likely to take on quite a lot more than just the business as it again, the business in any other party is simply to win an election for the SNP. The business is also to win a constitutional change and a referendum that everyone's telling you is impossible. Right. So I don't think in that regard you should narrow the pitch so much that the people who have a difficulty only because of a current set of rules that were only recently applied within the SNP to Westminster candidates, you know, not the, the difficulty of them standing for Holyrood. I appreciate there's difficulty, difficulty, you know, every which way. Yes. You want to it, yeah. Right. But let's not narrow this thing down because we want the best person for the job. And um, that person might well currently be a Westminster MP. Yep. Well, the the other thing, of course, is that I've been been listening to the radio is the the fact of is this the death knell for for independence now that Nicola is gone? Which again does this bring us back to the fact that people complain about the fact that oh, it's all about Nicola, and then on the other hand, say it's all about Nicola. Do you know what I mean? And, and uh, I think there's a lot of overemphasis being placed on well how how important the leader is and how important the first minister is. Uh, but um, I think the independence movement is much wider than that. And I think the next person needs to be someone uh, that, that can bring the, the various elements of the Yes movement, people across party and out with party together. And uh, I just, fingers crossed, I hope it's someone who, who the, the SNP consider will be that unifying figure across the Yes movement. Yeah, that's that's all true. Um, I mean... Obviously, it it is a dunt. Um, yeah. Most because, I mean, some I was when I was off having my my kind of uh, physiotherapy <laughs> so I could <laughs> move again. Um, the pal who was doing it, who was another big yeser, was kind of saying, you know, the best um, tribute to Nicola would be to do some sort of, um, you know, kind of montage of her as Wonder Woman or Superwoman or something from the number of different situations that she's kind of managed to thole, get out of, turn out again the next morning looking pretty together um, and just generally hold the fort in a sort of, in a very sort of light way, you know, where it was like, it didn't look like the whole thing was weighing on her so much. 
Um, I mean, that's why people would be able to remark after eight years that she did look a bit tired. I mean, you know, everybody else looks permanently tired the entire time, basically. <laughs> um, but it looked like it didn't weigh on her very heavily. I mean, she managed to keep pitching up. Was it COVID? Was it Supreme Court stuffy? Was it just the daily grind? Was it a new Tory leader? Was it a new whatever? Um, was it Boris, you know, scuttling out the back door of Butte House? Whatever was thrown at her, she seemed to sort of catch it, put it in the ground, you know, pick herself up really quickly and just get on with it. So I think the thing within that then is if even Nicola, the slight, slightly superwoman of the whole thing, can't thole this, can you? Yeah, that's that's the power of the, the problem for independence. It's not a logical problem because obviously it's a cause that preceded all of us in terms of our lives even. Um, and it's one that will will go on for as long as it takes, clearly. But, you know, ideas travel on the backs of people. They don't travel independently of humans. And um, the, the, the idea that that someone is, as kind of capable and tungsten-like, and, and, and she used to be young, <laughs> says Nicola. Yes. If she's kind of coping, it, it will naturally make people think, well, who has got the stomach for this? Because it looks like it's taken lumps out of her. And it well, looks like, let's just say what it looks like. It looks like um, the business of trying to be be true to kind of get an independence over the line and do government and, 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 and. Yeah. It just looks like that has proved to be too much for a woman who looked like she was pretty capable of doing quite a lot. Now, that may prove nothing more than, as she said many times in her speech, she is human. And actually... Um, you can't manage to do all those things indefinitely for a le great length of time. And that, unfortunately, in a sense, you reap as you sow. So when you keep the, the kind of management very close to your chest and in a small group of people, it's you and that small group that carry the whole damn load. You know, so that's all to be said. But I'm sure today people will be thinking, well, we need to feel and that's why this is so important that it feels like it's a new generation that has real, you know, that has a real fire in its belly and has basically new legs for this, you know, to kind of be able to jump a generation and move forward, um, which is why I think it's so important that this is not really a reflection on the standard of, of other candidates. But it, it above all now, I think this has to look like the baton is changing and being handed over to a generation that's got the physical energy for the fight. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, the, the, the final thing I've got to say on this is that she's going to be a hell of a hard act to follow. But you're right. I think it's got to be done collectively. And if it, if it gets it gets Nicola in the end, it needs more than one person and it needs a, a collective collegiate set of leadership across the the yes movement across the snp to get independence over the line and to govern effectively yeah uh-huh yeah i i mean d definitely if there's if there's more you know if there's more shoulders on the tiller if there's more spokespeople able to appear i mean if you just think back to that period of covid even for example um you know, it was an incredible thing to see her day in, day out, always so together and kind of always well briefed and never talking down, never confused, never. I mean, good grief. I, I don't know who else could do that, but somebody else should have done it. <laughs> Some yes. of the and of course, there were occasions when she wasn't there. And of course, then the, the sort of interest levels in it just sank completely because she had become the sort of lodestar. You know, she had become 
the 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 total prism through which we understood a, a kind of life-changing pandemic a lot of other small countries politicians didn't get anywhere near that they left it all to the scientists you know so um that that's the difficulty really is that you you become essentially the oracle and you get the pelters that oracles always get you know nobody in the end you set them up you knock them down you know nobody likes essentially an oracle in the end and the more that she became the the voice piece for practically every major policy and put so much of her energy and life into it the more she sort of got pelters for it um which i mean this got to take lumps out of you in the end and then we haven't even mentioned the whole alba and kind of alex salmon thing which uh yeah I mean, all of these, each of these things on their own would be enough emotionally to leave you completely buggered for the rest of your life, actually. Um, and I would say the same is true for Alex. Um, and there's been no moment of, you know, even in the press conference today, after she tried her hardest to choose her words so carefully um, and to really communicate lots of quite subtle thoughts you know, so she she was talking about the role that she might have inadvertently had in polarizing debate, and that mm-hmm. she hoped everybody could reset the tone and of of discourse, um, and taking herself out of the um, situation might mean that um, there's less fixed attitudes, which helps politics and helps independence to grow. I mean, there was some quite thoughtful concessions in there, and <laughs> the questions just reined in, just unflinchingly. You know, basically, it's almost like you're there at your own funeral and somebody asks you if you were crap. <laughs> yeah. And you're supposed to answer. And she did. You know, yeah. <laughs> I mean. And that's, sorry, you just hit the nail on the head there. She was supposed to answer and she did. Yeah. And that's what we've seen continually throughout her time uh, as First it's Minister. Like, it's like a when, human shock absorber, the woman. You know, I mean, anybody else would have lost the rag. Or just, you know, walked up to the podium, delivered the thing, said, thank you, you'll understand. I'm not wanting to take any questions and turned on their heel, walked out again. And that would have been the end of it. And nobody would have batted an eyelid because that would be what they expect. But what you expect from her is that she stands there and takes all comers, even when it's such a ludicrously hostile set of questions that it sparked a whole new career for Janie Godley doing the sweary voiceovers with a clicky pen. Well, so... (laughs) Yes. Well, talking about a ludicrously hostile set of questions, I think your Andrew Neil uh, confrontation. No, I'm saying your, your your chat with Andrew Neil on uh, on uh, today will be coming up no, shortly. It's PM. Oh, it's, it's PM. PM. Oh, it's today in the morning. I've lost the plot. You see, that's it. Yeah. Yes, it's coming up sort of in about ten minutes or something like that. Um, so we'll see what happens. I'm sure he'll be. You know his usual self and that but you know, that's the thing it's a big enough day that they've ruled out you know the big the big unionist hitters you know to sort of just presumably whack my head off and and um, say that's independence done and yes you know, rubbish anyway and whatever else yeah. so i mean i you know i haven't completely thought thought myself through this but i'm sure the heat of the moment will will kind of guide me somewhere 
I just hope my uh, my audio apparatus works a little better than it has done for this podcast. Oh gosh, yeah. I mean, I just, just to let everybody know that this this was uh, nip and tuck as well as was going to happen because my laptop suddenly decided that it was it was going to completely eliminate all my audio drivers. So that was the that was my afternoon spent on that while Leslie was fielding phone calls. And I say that's the final thing is that the BBC's website is completely flooded with Nicholas Sturgeon, Nicholas Sturgeon, Nicholas Sturgeon. And what you said to David Lamy this morning was, well, suddenly you're all you're all terribly interested, which, as you said, reveals the centrality and the significance of Nicholas Sturgeon and the centrality and significance of the constitutional question to the UK. And it needs yeah. an incident like this to actually bring it to the fore. And actually, the other thought I was slightly having, though, I haven't got a good feeling for this yet because it's hard to know what people are feeling about this. Everybody else is that. I mean, the, the, the Scots uh, I relish being the only uh, country in the world for whom a double positive is a negative, I write. So we're quite capable of taking what looks like something that's coming in one direction, like a dunt, and turning it into mm-hmm. act, a bit of a push. And I just wonder, because, for example, the Supreme Court verdict that was supposed to be the big dunt, which was, you little people, just get out the road. You're not your pretendy parliament can't actually even take a a lawful referendum of its own people, actually produced quite a spike for independence then, because people thought, who the hell do you think you are? And kind of, you know, and so on. And uh, I wonder now, you know, with this kind of um, it's not as if Nicholas basically saying, the thing has all got so impossibly difficult, especially she did actually mention the Supreme Court verdict and now the sort of long road round that has to be taken. Um, you know, it's I think that actually might really quite anger quite a lot of people. If anybody starts getting in the least kind of um, buoyant or kind of combative about that or you know, look, you little people have sort of given up. Your leader has kind of scuttled off because she's knackered or whatever. Um, you know, we saw that that, you know, fairly bouncy young woman who's still I mean, she's, you know, compared to us, she's still oh, yes. 53, right, you know. Um, and you sort of think, well, this is what it's doing to us, this. This is what mm-hmm. this constant attrition, this political career that has to take five different fights on simultaneously is doing to Scots. We can't go on like this. Because we can't go running through people like this. We can't lose politicians like this. We can't be offering examples to another generation like this. We can't be burning out, you know, just quite like this. So I I don't know. I think that this, you know, that this could be quite different than people imagine. And, and I certainly hope so. Yeah, it's exactly because I remember having discussions in in 2014 with friends of mine who are in the Labour Party says, well, that's it for the SNP and that's it for independence. Boy, did they get that wrong. I think 100,000 people joined the SNP and there was a surge in in support for independence and enthusiasm for independence that actually defied the odds of what was thought to happen, that that was going to be the end of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So who knows that that could happen? I mean, it would take some going because there are now so many different kind of splits and, you know, and stuff. Um, but it is just possible that in going, she has kind of essentially put her career on the line to try and cover some of the, the splits that exist. Um, I don't know if that will succeed or not, but it certainly will make it easier for the next person coming along. Of course, they will inherit having to deal with 
a gender reform Rec- recognition act that you know has been struck down essentially still by Westminster and the same thing could happen to the bottle deposit scheme you know there's still a whole hurly burly of stuff in there it's like a a second level of of essentially skirmishing in a war that has been held and yet not held and I mean, again, I'm channeling only my my uh, physiotherapist pal who talks a lot about the difficulty presented for human bodies of the fight and flight instinct repressed. Yes, Which it is most of the time. You know, we have this powerful fight or flight instinct as humans and we have essentially done neither. We have sat with all our energy going nowhere. Susie recommends to me to take up kickboxing into the air, uh, apropos of nothing, to just simply release energy that otherwise sits absolutely pent up in you, causing all your muscles problems. But here, as a body politic, we have been in the same situation in a pent up, not able to fight, not able to flight mode for about 10 years. So it's not that's not healthy. We have to find ways forward. Um, whichever first way we have of that, I think there'll be a lot of support for whatever candidate can do it if they look like they're wholehearted and essentially activist enough to be, you know, wh- what's the phrase that's used in Westminster all the time? Settling up, not settling down. Mm-hmm. Right. So, Geert Laldi on PM Leslie. And uh, and that's it. That's it, folks. And uh, I, when I said see you next week, chums, I didn't expect to see you in the next 24 hours. So we'll see you, fingers crossed, on Tuesday and after this utterly momentous and memorable day. <laughs>